in this which is the closing talk of our days here together, I would just like to explore both a general and particular, the general body of the teachings. And traditionally these have been put into three areas for our consideration. And if a person to, was to ask you, or to ask myself, well, what, what's, what is the, the essential features that, and character of this spiritual teaching? And these, as I say, fall into three areas. The first, as was mentioned at the beginning of the days here together, and that is the ethical guidelines, the ethical principles there of not killing, not stealing, not engaging in sexual abuse, not telling lies and not using alcohol or drugs as a form of uh, abuse. And within the very temper, shall we say, the very structure of the, those ethical guidelines, there is much in the way of gross and subtlety there. And if one was to take the first one as a small example of this, it's not only um, not engaging and not committing oneself to killing other human beings. And that can be, of course, through direct contact, but also through endorsing it in the various ways that our society both within the society, such as execution and internationally through war, to fight to recognize the significance on our earth of sustaining the, the voice of nonviolence in and amidst um, all circumstances. And of course, often the cry of idealism is generated with regard to that but surely it has to be a far greater idealism that we can imagine or believe that by killing other human beings in the name of our country um, is the way to stop killing other human beings. And that to me is an outrageous idealism and no point in history has that ever been discovered. And so I say the voice of nonviolence is a very important voice in spiritual training and discipline and people in the Buddhist traditions, the, the Friends, the Quakers and others are constant spiritual reminders. They serve as a moral conscience, I think, for many, many of us. And the second feature of the spiritual uh, work is in the area of awareness, mindfulness, uh, meditation and the application in that so that there is a steadfast uh, commitment to living as conscious human beings, to live in, in an aware way. That in awareness, that includes both in meditation and, and in daily life, it includes the awareness of intention, action and result. In the relationship in life and in a non-personal way meaning it includes ourselves and others, of intention, action and results. And similarly in our field of awareness of our relationship to 
of what is happening right here, right now, wherever, whenever that may be. So one feature of the teachings are the ethical guidelines and all the subtleties and depths of significance of that. Second essential, indispensable feature of the teachings is awareness, mindfulness, um, the meditation, contemplative processes. And the third area is wisdom. That uh, remarkable and precious capacity of a human being to understand things in such a way that one is not suffering, because one understands the way things are, one understands the events of life, and the insights and the realizations which emerge in that understanding. And of course the expressions of that are multiple in their uh, form, but certainly show a joy in life, a peace with life, a contentment with life, and also in the very heart of wisdom is the realization of that which is non-dual, not defined by self nor other, and therefore there is the touch of immensity and therefore uh, ultimacy. So if in looking and exploring what the teachings are, this in a way is the body of the teachings, the ethical guidelines, the awareness, mindfulness, meditations, and the wisdom of life, the heartfelt wisdom of life, and the realizations of ultimacy, of liberation, of freedom. And in that, what the teachings say, let's not regard that as the peripheral of life, but let's make that as it were, if life is to have meaning for us and validity for us, then that has that, those three principles, we might say, really have to be significant considerations for us in whatever the activity we are involved in. From our relationship to ourselves, our relationships with others, personal relationships, family relationships, working relationships, leisure relationships, travel relationships, whatever. Bringing uh, in such a way that no stone is left unturned. Where is the ethics in the activity? Where is the mindful aware uh, activity, presence there. What is the wisdom there? What is the realization that is there? And, the, and these are the teachings. The rest, the, in forms of the religion, the history of um, B Buddhism, the various forms, all, all of that, there, that is useful for some, can be discarded by others, but these three are not to be neglected, not to be forgotten, and to be, as it were, as familiar to us as the, the hands are at the end of our arms. That kind of familiarity with the body of the teachings. Then we say, what, if, what with our daily life situation? And one of the considerations here, of course, is from the very moment that we actually uh, leave here to, to go home. And in the very journey home, just as there have been rise and falls of feelings and emotions and thoughts and all of that during the days, just because a retreat is over, 
doesn't mean to say that therefore the movements of mind are over as well. And, and what that can mean that when one g goes home to wherever you live to go home, but please not going home as a kind of um, missionary for Dharma or <laughs> even worse, missionary for meditation. Because if one does, it tends to be off-putting. And sometimes when one arrives home, and particularly if one's had some thoughts about people that you know or loved ones or one's mother or something, <laughs> something like that, they simply may not be ready nor prepared for your realizations about where they're at. <laughs> and so I do feel in making the steps home that one uh, mustn't forget the kindnesses and, the, and compassions and considerations and receptivities. And s similarly, sometimes as uh, said to me uh, today, that sometimes one may arrive home and that person who is close to one in one's absence may have built up some, you know, hostility or resentment or pressure or whatever. And then one finds that one arrives home and then the poison dart starts flying the moment that the door is opened. <laughs> and three minutes later, one, one, one wonders what happened to that retreat that one had just been in. So again, sometimes persons don't um, you know, quite appreciate the events of these, of these days. And sometimes that needs to be communicated, or two people need to go for a walk together, or whatever. So there's a little bit more space and air in the situation. And, and similarly, in going home, to, to take it you know, rather quietly and gradually. Sometimes a person arrives home, and having been getting up at uh, 5.45, and of course some people have been um, um, long before that, some people arrive home and do feel, after this and the journey home as well, utterly exhausted. And just a long good night's sleep in a familiar bed is, is something which one can really appreciate and to give time for that, rather than racing into the uh, uh, kitchen and, and going to the um, central shrine <laughs> of, of Western life, which is the refrigerator, <laughs> and, and opening the inner tabernacle <laughs> to gain the Eucharist in the fridge. <laughs> Hagendas, usually. <laughs> so, again, with all the things that you have felt you have missed during these days that you have. Uh, being here, again, going modestly with, with that. And, and I think especially, of course, if some people have given up um, smoking here, of course, not engaged in um, psychedelics or alcohol and so forth, I uh, do encourage people to just steer away from, from that. There's incredible refinement of one's being through the day, through the silences, the support, the posture, a remarkably uh, nutritious diet, and all the support that has been given, and to be respectful to 
that, because remember when we speak of change and transformation, actually it's the whole being transformation. We often think it's just the mind or it's just the heart or whatever, but actually it's the whole being is transformed. And that needs to be acknowledged as one comes into the context of the daily life situation. With meditation, formal meditation, and I just want to make a short point here, sometimes there has been some misunderstanding of uh, one particular thing which I have said, and what I have, the misunderstanding is essentially that some people think I dismiss formal sitting meditation in daily life. It doesn't really matter. I have never said that and wouldn't say that. But what I do say is that some people do have that quiet daily discipline for formal meditative sitting. And that really is a feature of their life. And the time spent sitting may vary from one person to another. And that sitting time can be something of a barometer in a way of what one's present existence is. Where whatever the state of mind of body in the sitting, it's telling us something, always. And there is much to be said and great value in that quiet contemplative awarenesses. And people do set aside some time and space in their home for that to happen. But I do want to acknowledge equally those people who find for many, many reasons, just the way of the being, work, um, parenting, um, noise around, or whatever it might be, that an aptitude disciplines many factors which really don't allow for a regular daily sitting meditation. And there are such people, and I hear and receive letters on this regularly. And I do say to both, those who do love to sit and appreciate the value and derive value from it, and those who don't sit regularly, that what does matter is the whole of the day. That, that matters for both equally. And as we have said a number of times, every activity, every moment in a way, matters equally because it's an expression of something inexpressible. So our day, how is our day? What's the relationship to our day? In that consideration, sometimes, we have, as we have spoken here in the days, sometimes we notice we have to change the fact or the relationship to the fact. Sometimes we change the fact or the relationship to the fact. So sometimes, as an example, a person may in a, be in a work, sometimes it's a work which one feels is not only unsatisfactory but unethical, as well. It's a harmful, destructive form of livelihood, then it's, I'd say one has to change the fact. Sometimes there's a situation where the, the, the work is fine, but the relationship to it needs to be looked at. There's something going on in the relationship. So one looks, what way can I find a different relationship? In all, all, all this meditation work, working life, or activities, I put, as it were, in the spiritual shopping list, right at the uh, very top of that is contact with like-minded people. We were speaking yesterday in, the, uh, in that um, question-answer session with uh, Lance uh, about community building. 
meeting with others. And I think this is a tremendous support. It's a tremendous support for all of us, the gathering of people to look and share things together. And the track record tends to show that if people just come and sit and then have a cup of tea or coffee afterwards and then split, groups like that don't last. Silence without language tends to be rather boring or dull or whatever it might be. And therefore I say, yes, meetings regularly for meditation, but please, please have some exploration and discussion together. And please, for let there be one person, at least in that group, who encourages for it to be at the level of experience. I think the value that we see here and the lovely thing with our groups and inquiries or whatever, people, everybody without exception, was interested to keep to experience, to keep how they were feeling, how they were perceiving, how they were thinking, rather than in the theories, in the abstracts, in the philosophies, in the, the Buddhologies and <laughs> all these other ologies. And, and that sparks interest. And therefore, a person in the group, just to ensure that the theoreticians, that um, there is a rain on their enthusiasm. So that that, 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 that helps to, to nourish people and there's a tremendous amount of insight and understanding uh, in the Dharma community in this hall here. And, so some, and it doesn't have to have anything sectarian, any religion, we don't need any Buddhism or any of that for that. Just people meeting together, spending some time in some silence together, looking at things about the very juice of life and just sharing the awarenesses and the concerns there and making that happen. And another which I uh, did for a period of time in Totnes is, um, I think it was once a fortnight or once a month, I would invite um, a number of people, eight or ten people, to come to have some um, uh, dinner. And in fact, we used a, a room at the Sharpham House for it. And there was a, a simple agreement at the dinner uh, table. And that was that what the, whoever spoke, spoke to the whole table. You know, what's, uh, you know when you go to these tedious uh, dinner parties with these dead animals lying in front of you, <laughs> that you... And, and, and one en and ends up rather fragmented, you know, you know, whisper, whisper, pass the wine, whisper, whisper. <laughs> and I said, let's have an agreement th that there's a situation where we take a theme and topic, we you know, enjoy, enjoy the dinner together, and we just look into something of mutual interest together, eight or ten people. And they were just marvellous and really a good evening and humour and insight and sharing together and a lot of mutual learning. It's that kind of thing that I have in mind, just people connecting to together, and finding ways to do that and that we hear each other's voice. Um, another important aspect, just two, uh, two or three more here. Um, one is very, very important one. In the Eightfold Path of the Buddha, he speaks the first of right understanding, and then he goes from that to what is Samma samkalpa, samma samkalpa. And this is the right attitude. 
The right meaning skillful, useful, beneficial attitude. And that, that, I think that attitude of mind is to regard whatever the circumstance of our life as a genuine opportunity to learn something and learn experientially. What is there to be learned from this? And even though the same difficulty may continue in time, but still there's countless opportunities within the continuity to learn, to really learn. And, to, and similarly, when we are working with people, and we're relating to people, and many of the skills in this room are very much on the interpersonal level with other human beings, you know, it's important that we pick up with other persons but that person really is interested to learn about themselves or to learn about the situation that they are in. They really want to discover, really want to find out. And that's got to be made clear. Otherwise it can fall into the, just as we keep thinking about makes no difference. It can, same thing, it can just be talking about. And there's a kind of temporary comfort in just talking about but it's the lear real learning about, really learning something out of a situation, out of a drama, out of a nightmare, uh, out of a discovery. And that I think we have to communicate with and find that with each other. Some of the other um, areas of uh, life, and I th think a very, very important one in terms of Dharma. Dharma means spiritual teachings which deal with the nature of life. Uh, and one which many of us found in a, find, in a way, is a, an ongoing feature of our life, and that is service. And service, I tend to characterize in different ways. S service is, as it were, feeling, thinking, acting, doing, from a position of we rather than I. That is service. So. In service, when you and I, when we're engaged in uh, uh, service, there is within the activi that activity, of course, one is learning and one is getting benefit from that and it's touching one and all that can come through service for oneself. But the, the, the relationship to it, this others mattering, others, others means people, um, creatures, animals and so forth and the environment, that that matters as much as oneself. And so even when you and I, the I is arising in, in our mind, it's when there is that deepening of understanding there, the I, as it were, is, all, is a we. Because the I, 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 whoever the I is, cannot be separated from the circumstances. It can never be isolated from the events which are going on around, near and far. So, when we're in I, and if we're starting being somewhat caught or embroiled in I, I, let's make I, let's see what's I, let's see what's we. We get the sense of this, then we see others are ourselves, we matter equally. And if we see even deeper into the we, even the we drops away, there is the, the sweetness of something vast, vast, in which I and we, as it were, rest in which we may forget, neglect. Other um, features of the uh, daily life, and this in a way can be an advertisement really for retreats and other activities, that 
making time for that, I think, is vital. Well, I read just before um, coming here that people in the United States, even more than the Japanese which, and Germans, which seemed incredible, work more hours than any other species on Earth, <laughs> human or otherwise. <laughs> and the number of hours of week which people uh, work is not only unparalleled, but because the, the political, you've got such weak labor relations in this country at every level that people tell me again and again that one gets a standard two weeks holiday and after that it, if you take extra weeks, if you can get extra weeks, you lose your pay. And after you've been working for this wretched government for a decade, you might get three weeks or something. You know, it, it creates when I tell the people on, in continental Europe and in England, which is trying to imagine that it belongs to Europe, that <laughs> tell such information, they can't believe it. And, and, and you know, people will say, oh, that explains everything. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and I think a, li a little bit at this political level for a moment is that you ha there is a very tragic and a very wretched and very weak, ineffective net for the poor, for the unemployed, for the disadvantaged, and the real lack of social security system in, in uh, housing, in uh, um, health, of course, in being giving real get receiving real direct support from from the government for those in hardship and is something which makes the system here of life i think much harder and sometimes quite brutal and there needs to be fine ways that, that for people who are involved in human welfare and concern to find and give support to ways to actually changing the system otherwise one is in danger of working with people bringing them to greater emotional, psychological, spiritual health and well-being, but as it were, leaving that person or persons in the system which, which damaged the person so much in the first place. And I think sometimes, for those who have uh, the uh, possibility and the opportunity in terms of self and its relationship to society, that it's not just dealing with person individually, but individually of society and therefore the mechanisms of society, the structure of society, form and influence significantly the structure of self. Therefore we must change society as much as transform the individual. We want revolution in society as much as revolution for the individual. They go together very much so. And we see that the old method of doing this, left-wing thinking, communist thinking, which was had that as a criteria, failed completely because it took so much away from the person and with the wretched state planning and all of that nightmare. So I think somehow or other we need to look into these things, the relationship of the person and society and, and what ways that we can show our awarenesses, our concerns, our compassion, not just working at the individual level. Let's take a very small example on here, one which 
I was just speaking about to the staff. If you pick up an advertisement for um, alcohol, you will gen if you look at that advertisement, you'll often see a glass with ice in it as a typical. If you look at that ice in the glass, you will probably see monstrous, terrifying faces in the ice. The view being from the industry that those who are tragically under the influence of um, alcohol do hate themselves and this unconsciously, subliminally, is a reminder of that to make them feel more thirsty. Just look in any advertisement showing um, ice and alco alcohol. The AAA programme, which often goes on here quietly during a retreat for a number of people, is a marvellous programme. The 12-step programme, I think, is marvellous. But what needs to be addressed in this situation is what is going on in this society which is allowed such perversion in advertising which brings in alcoholics to the advertising studio to show them the photographs and then they choose the one which makes the alcoholic feel most thirsty. This is sickness in society and this sickness has got to be challenged. And it's not enough just to be in an AA program because it's liberating for the individual, but we've got to protect all those to save them from this mess. So these situations have the personal context to them, and one must feel strongly about that, and also has the larger context to it, and one might feel, learn to feel equally strongly about that. It's not easy. Therefore I say gatherings are important. Giving love to each other is, is important. Writing letters, communicating, protesting, finding ways to express concern, that's important as well. So in the points of the talk, just to um, uh, close here with you, there's the ethical uh, guidelines, there's the meditations, the awarenesses of the day. With the meditations, we explored mindfulness of breathing, body awareness, expanding the awareness to include sounds, the watching of the arising and passing of I and my in the field of awareness, and the field of insights and understanding the all level of our being, the attitude of mind, the contact and the necessity to prioritize, really, like contact with like-minded people, making our home available, helping to get things off the ground and organizing, making contacts. All that's very nourishing in a very free, non-sectarian way. It's very, very important. And we start bringing these factors and say, yes, I want to make these factors live. I want to make these factors really part of my life, in my life, a fe real features of my life. And I think that is really something we can all, small ways, can really contribute to. Wherever one may be, whatever the circumstances. And that, I think, is we, to speak of um, hope on our earth and then I think that those explorations genuinely offer hope. We live a, a full life, a, a holistic life, a, a diverse life, a, a, 
a rich life, an exploratory life. And then we can just be, we can be touched magnificently by the, as a person said on the retreat, by the jewel of a dewdrop on the end of the morning leaf. Just touched by it, we're just lost for words in all of this. So let us have a few minutes loving-kindness meditation, shall we please? sitting, being here together, participating, sharing all this together. During our days here together, sometimes there have been rise and fall of circumstances which have been difficult, unpleasant. You may have felt anger, upset, irritation, aggression. Sometimes painful projections and hostility, moodiness different forms which are rather unpleasant and unsatisfactory, sometimes generated towards others here, oneself, or other circumstances. Mm. Just now, just abandoning all of that. Not holding on to any, any of that at all. So there's a, a warmth of heart for those people who are sitting very close to us in the room here, in front and behind and to our side, so that we're generating a room of loving-kindness, of metta, as it's known in the tradition. And everybody receiving and giving to each other right now.
just recently, I was talking with a, a good friend of mine, and she, actually she's the manager of a, a barn community. We have a community in near Totnes where they work on the land and engage in communication, meditation, and uh, exploration. And she had just been on holiday with her brother, and her brother drives a truck, these huge trucks, living, delivering electronic equipment all over Europe. And while going along the autobahns in Germany and uh, other parts of uh, Europe, Western Europe, he would pick up hitchhikers. And these days, quite a few of the hitchhikers they were picking up were actually from Eastern Europe and traveling for the first time in Western Europe. And all of what they like to talk about in the truck, I was told, is how great it is to be free. How great it is to get out of the country, to be on the road and to have a chance to see other parts of the world which were denied to them for so many years. And even though we know for us too that in fact those who can travel in our country, we say everybody is free to travel, but in fact, of course, millions barely got the bus fare into a town. And it's a very privileged activity. But we do, but in the listening to this person, freedom to move. Then one's heart turns toward those who are denied that opportunity economically, politically, imprisonment and abuse, physically, health factors. And perhaps while you and I have been sitting here in our days, we've had some thoughts to those who can't move, can't get out of their situation, have nowhere to go. In our sittings, when we are still and we have not doing anything, we have nowhere to go. Sometimes we can connect deeply with those who are deprived, who are trapped in their circumstances. One's heart feels for the position of such people. And one marvels when one reads sometimes, as I read recently in an amnesty report, person who spent years for making one statement of protest about the political uh, regime in South America. And he said, they can take everything away, but if one knows what freedom is, they can never take it away. They just can't touch it. So let us, in our meditations, in our quiet moments, just remember those who are trapped, and that our warmth of heart acknowledge 
and find some ways to express our support. May our mother and father live in peace and harmony. May our brothers and sisters live in peace and harmony. May our relatives and our friends live in peace and harmony. May all those who we are close to live in peace and harmony. May our children grow into a world and experience peace and harmony. May our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren and all future generations grow into a world of peace and harmony. And may our life be dedicated. May we find ways and means to make sacrifices, to let go, to give up, and thereby pay the highest respect to life. May all beings live in peace. May all beings live in harmony. May all beings in all the realms, in all the universes, live in peace and harmony. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.